0: Welcome to Asset Protection today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio six eighty WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you, Jason Kong here along with Bill Alexander back in the studio today. Bill, how are you doing?
1: Doing great, Jason. Hope you're doing good. Hope you've had a good week.
0: Yes, I'm doing wonderful, Bill. I'm excited to get into today's program. You've brought a guest here. We've got yep. a, a lot of time here, so let's let's jump well, right into it.
1: Absolutely, and it's my pleasure to have a terrific attorney with me as as my guest. Uh, His name is Tom Sparks. His law firm in Raleigh is actually a relatively new firm, but Tom and his partner are not new to the uh, legal game. He's a very experienced attorney. Uh, The name of his law firm in Raleigh is the Fiduciary Litigation Group. And so, for our folks, we need uh, them to know that basically, uh, with elder law, for seniors' issues, uh, and other folks too, uh, most folks need fiduciaries. And now, some people might say, well, what does that mean? What's a fiduciary? Um, So, I'll introduce Tom. Tom, hey. Hey, Bill. (laughs) Hey, Jason. Thank you guys for
2: having me. What's a fiduciary? A trusted individual. It's that simple. It's um, to, to put it into uh, into layman's terms. If you have a power of attorney, it's the person you've named to help you in that regard. If if you have a healthcare power, it's your agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have an attorney, it's your attorney. Okay, uh, and people like in the,
1: that. In other words, an attorney at law is your fiduciary if you've hired them, um, and of course your agents. Also, if you have a trust, your trustee is a different. Uh, hat, but it's also a fiduciary relationship. And there are other ways you can have fiduciaries. And I I thought it was really important to invite Tom because Tom Sparks is one of the best litigators in this area, in the state, and he understands issues for seniors because this is a focus area for his law firm. And I think that's really important because when you hire the – you want to hire the right attorney when you have issues where your family matters break down. Um, And oftentimes, at least uh, from what I see in my practice, that when things break down, it's not always somebody that you don't know. It's not necessarily a scam artist who's a criminal. It can be a family member. It's somebody who you thought you could trust. So tell us about some of those issues, Tom. I think it's so important for folks to understand what's going on here.
2: Well, you're exactly right. Uh, When you're talking about a scam artist, they tend to have a wider net and and affect uh, the more vulnerable of our population. And and in our case, we're talking primarily about seniors and seniors who are uh, either in the onset of dementia or beyond that. But our practice focuses when there's a breakdown with the person that has been Selected by the elder in this example um, to be the trusted person, to be the agent, and they uh, either intentionally or otherwise uh, start to uh, play with the elder's assets in a way that they shouldn't be playing with their assets, and that's when we get involved. It is an unfortunate reality that the overwhelming majority of the time that we get involved, Mm -hmm. and I would let me caveat that by saying. This is this is not a pandemic. This is not something that happens in every case. It's the rare case it happens in. But when it happens, it mostly happens with another family member, a son, a daughter, or something like that.
1: So this is where you have actually chosen the wrong person uh, to actually be your trusted agent. Would that be a – way to put it
2: yes you've either chosen the wrong person from the outset or the wrong or the right person that you've chosen has for some reason become the wrong person
1: well you know i i've seen cases frequently where um a a child possibly steals from their parent Uh, i mean they and they justify it in their own mind some uh times um but rarely are they actually prosecuted Criminally, uh, which oftentimes they could be, but but family members don't. Uh, you know, parent doesn't want to put their son or daughter in jail.
2: <laughs> That's true. The, uh, the The biggest issue um, when I talk to uh, fellow practitioners who don't litigate um, is that the 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 person who needs to be prosecu- prosecuted the suit can often only be initiated by the abuser. Mm -hmm. Uh, because the elder doesn't want to do it either because of dementia issues or Mm -hmm. because of embarrassment
1: right but there is uh, you know when we say prosecute that's that's a criminal prosecution that's where the the district attorney gets involved sometimes the police don't want to get involved they consider it a family matter Uh, uh,
2: almost all the time they consider it a family matter that's something that I, I believe really needs to be addressed and it needs to be addressed, uh, at the attorney general level. And I believe it needs to be addressed at the attorney general level because we civilian attorneys, excuse me for using that term, but we non-governmental attorneys, we cost our clients money and frequently they don't have a lot of money. So if it's lower level abuse, and I don't mean to, to say it's not bad abuse, sometimes it's worse than higher level abuse because higher level abuse, the elder tends to have more money. Mm-hmm. But when the elder does not have a lot of money and that little bit of money is taken away, mm-hmm. um, they really can't afford somebody like me. And we, do, we can't do a lot of pro bono work, although we do some.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, what, you know, from my perspective, even if there's not a remedy in the criminal courts, uh, you represent a remedy – uh, for families where this kind of thing occurs. Because, you know, I'm I'm quick to say that my law firm does not do litigation. We do planning. That's, that's different. And we can come back to some of the planning issues as it relates to picking the wrong client or picking the wrong tr- trusted advisor, if you will, where you're putting trust in someone that disappoints you. Uh, but but typically um, I at least I see in my practice where it comes to light is where there's more than one child, one child has been selected as the agent, and the other children are going something funny's going on, so do you see that Tom
2: I see that very frequently when there's more than one child, and the the typical symptoms of that are the typical symptom of that is a breakdown in communication mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, we believe that we should have access to our parents' finances, and when that those that access is controlled by a single individual, not one of the parents, um, the other siblings become concerned, and frequently mm-hmm. they become concerned for good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the way the the two remedies to that, to me, are one, realize that your parents' money is your parents' money; it is not your money, <laughs> right, and two. You keep those channels of communications open, just you know, keep them open.
1: One of the things I've told my clients and I tell them again and again uh, to the agents is that transparency, you know, where they communicate with their siblings and their parents sometimes uh, to make sure that everyone knows how money's being spent. You know, oftentimes long-term care issues are expensive and nothing bad is going on. But when a lot of money is going out the door and the other folks don't know where the money's going, it it makes questions arise.
2: It does. One of the things that – and I'm not a planner. You, you mentioned you're not a litigator. I'm not in a, an elder law planner. And we, spe- excuse me, we specifically targeted litigation only as, as uh, our, what we do in our practice. And we do that so that we can help other attorneys and they can help us. In this process, and one way you can help clients, in my opinion, seeing the back end of this is to make sure that there is some reporting requirement, if not to the courts, then to um, other family members.
1: Well, and I have I have seen breakdowns where going to uh, your firm, the fiduciary litigation group. Is extraordinarily important, and and oftentimes it's where uh, uh, a child uh, is abusing the relationship, um, and it's, it's not always about money, but oftentimes it is. Um, it it can be because they're basically t- um, have the ability to put a parent, someone who is. Uh, disabled, if you will, and not able to make their own decisions, they make them non-accessible to other family members, and you can have issues like that. But it's not always a child. Sometimes it's a spouse. Sometimes it's uh, a second or third marriage, and the spouse is taking advantage uh, in ways that are not anticipated, if you will. Uh, so you can have disputes uh, between uh, successive spouses and children by previous marriages. And you can have disputes uh, among family members where uh, a one person uh, is taking advantage. And that's, that's where uh, getting advice from, um, from attorneys who know what they're doing and n- know how to handle it uh, is with the fiduciary litigation group uh, and Tom Sparks. So, uh, Tom, when someone comes to see you and one of these issues arises, how do you how do you handle it?
2: The first thing we do, it, realizing that that what we are being told is from the perspective of the teller. Mm-hmm. And in any dispute, if, if there wasn't a dispute, they wouldn't need us. But, so in any dispute, there are, there are multiple perspectives. So the first thing that we do is we do a review of the documents, the documents that your firm, Bill, may, may prepare, um, estate planning documents, powers of attorneys, wills, trusts, things like that. But then we go further than that, and we look for whatever public documents exist, and a great website for that is the Register of Deeds office in any, in any given county. And the reason we do that is because we want to confirm as much as we can of what the potential client is telling us or find out that what they're telling us is incorrect and share with them that their perspective may not, be, may not match the facts, mm-hmm. which is helpful to them in the first place for many reasons, I believe. Um, but going beyond that, you mentioned isolation. We look to to factors, and, and we look to symptoms. And a lot of times, what you'll see is exactly that somebody's being isolated. They're being isolated uh, because maybe they think that the person that wants access is not going to be a good person to have access. And all I can do is encourage people. I said to open communication, encourage people to have that access to the elder. Mm-hmm. The the more isolated an elder is. Uh, the the more dependent they become on the person, the isolator, and the more susceptible they come to, be, come to undue influence. And even if the person's not acting in a way that is unduly influencing, it sure looks like it. hmm And that gets expensive. I mean, it gets expensive when you have to hire attorneys to explain yourselves. Mm-hmm or yourself.
1: Well, Tom, I I know we're going to have to take a break, and I hope we've piqued folks' interest in this area. When we come back, what I really want to do is talk about some – where you can give us examples of of cases that you guys have handled. Obviously, no names, but uh, the types of cases that uh, you've actually um, uh, represented clients on so that folks get a better perspective on the types of issues that can arise.
0: I'm sure there's uh, no shortage of some interesting stories there, and we'll get those from Tom Sparks. He's with the Fiduciary Litigation Group, and we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 (laughs) WPTF. listening to asset protection today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Bill at wga law.com. That's Bill's website where you can find more information about him. You can listen to some of his podcasts and you can also register for his free monthly seminars. We'll talk about that a little bit later. We've got Tom Sparks here in the studio. He's an attorney with the Fiduciary Litigation Group. Bill and uh, right before the break we promised we were going to get into some examples of what right, Tom I deals want, with.
1: I, I want to turn it up over to Tom Sparks and let him uh, tell our folks uh, some of the cases, you know, a little bit about the cases that he handles and and why they are important.
2: Thank you very much, Bill and Jason. I really do appreciate it. I want to start out with one where um, somebody is suspected of abuse but is not an abuser. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people, mercifully, don't think like us attorneys and so they they tend to conduct their lives in, in very upstanding ways. Uh, but not in, a, in any formal sense. So I had a case recently where um, a son was looking after their parents, his parents, excuse me, uh, in the later years of their lives, right up until the, the time they died. And he commingled his parents' fund with funds, which were retirement funds, Social Security funds, with his own funds and meant no harm by it.
1: Yeah, that would have been a problem if he was a guardian, but if he wasn't a guardian, then oh, he? he
2: was an attorney in fact, under a power of attorney, so it was okay. a problem. Okay. Um, yeah. And his sister uh, rightfully had issues with what was going on because the the records were were very poorly kept. sure, if they were kept at all. And so another attorney and I, uh, her attorney and, and I represented him, um, worked through the issues together. Uh, and it was basically a gathering of information, a, a lot of information, uh, to demonstrate that um, he wasn't doing anything wrong, but it sure looked like he was.
1: So that's where we go back to the fact that the the uh, transparency, you know, where he should have been keeping his sister informed and he wasn't, yeah,
2: clearly. Exactly. And we, what we did was we made it transparent after the fact.
1: Well, and of course, uh, on the negative side, as far as the family is concerned, the lack of transparency ended up costing the family on both sides because the daughter uh, needed to hire an attorney to uh, sort things out appropriately, and she did the right thing by doing that. And of course, the son, who uh, didn't think he was doing anything wrong, needed to hire an attorney to make, again, to sort things out.
2: To highlight the fact that he wasn't doing anything wrong. He was doing the right thing in the wrong way. But like I said, we don't all think like attorneys or accountants. Mm -hmm. Um, And and he was quite innocent in what he was doing. He just did it the wrong way. Didn't look innocent um, to the outsider. But he was. Sure, exactly. Well, tell us some others. Well, the, I, I will tell you a lot of them. We do will caveats, which is, which means- Now what does that mean? <laughs> it's, a, it's a challenge to a will. And basically you can challenge a will because the person who did the will was not competent to do the will or was unduly influenced. And by undue influence, like isolated or, or had their assets changed or had their will changed or something like that by somebody who was doing the isolation and a potential abuser.
1: Okay, no. so um, tell us a little bit more about undue influence because people understand when someone is not capable of understanding what they are signing. Obviously, that would if, if you signed a will under those circumstances, it would not be a valid will. But wh- undue influence seems to be a little more subtle. How does that come about? Great question. Undue
2: influence is not – does not require the influenced person to be incompetent. Mm-hmm. In fact, that, those are two entirely different issues. Uh, undue influence, the legal definition of it is when the, and I hate the fact that we're using the word, the, the will of the person mm-hmm. who is rewriting their last will and testament has been overcome or overborne by another person, mm-hmm. and it is the other person's desires that are reflected in the will.
1: Yeah, I, I. In fact, I. I can. This is can be a very subtle distinction, and I've I've seen it myself numerous times. Uh, sometimes uh, folks come in and they've been taken care of by a particular, let's just say, a daughter, not uncommon, and they come to you and they say, "My daughter's taken care of me for five years. I want to leave her more than I leave the other children." Um, Well, the fact of the matter is that may not be undue influence. It may just be the appreciation of the parent trying to do the right thing to compensate a child for giving up part of their life to take care of them. On the other hand, it could be undue influence if it was the daughter that initiated the fact that you should leave the house to me or you should do this or you should do that. Uh, Isn't that right?
2: That is exactly right. You have to start from the understanding that there is nothing that you or I or anybody will ever do without some external influence.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Waking up in the morning, you wake up because your alarm clock's going off. Your alarm clock has influenced you to wake up, but it hasn't unduly influenced you. Mm-hmm. Undue influence is, is more insidious. It, it, it is something where, as I said before, you're substituting your will for somebody else's. The act of appreciation in the example that you use is – probably not undue influence. Undue influence typically occurs when somebody, to use a poker term, overplays their hand. They go for too much. The cases that we see are typically mm-hmm. when one sibling, one child, has been completely disinherited. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not trying to tell undue influencers to be more subtle than that and just kind of, und- uh, kind of have somebody <laughs> disinherited. It. Um, but, but it's typically what you'll see is it's an elderly person who is mentally with it, mm-hmm. but physically not with it. And they need help and they become dependent on somebody. And when there is the implicit threat that that, that, that help will no longer be coming if they don't change their... Testamentary documents, their mm-hmm. trusts, their wills, whatever, um, they begin to change, uh, they, they undertake the, the act of changing those documents. Um,
1: well, I think, you know, you, you have to start with the fact that you, a person has the right in North Carolina, and now these laws can be different from one state to another, but in North Carolina, you have the right to leave your estate to anybody you want to leave it to, uh, with one exception. Your spouse has a right to inherit from you uh, now, unless there is a pre-marriage agreement or a post-marriage agreement of some sort that where you give up that right. Spouses have a right to inherit, um, but children don't in North Carolina. It's just that's the norm. You know, most the majority of folks leave their property to. Uh, equally to their children but that's not always the case and if you want to disinherit a child there's nothing illegal or improper about doing it and if your child has estranged themselves from you that's a pretty darn good reason for leaving them out but at least in my planning practice if they do that I want to know why I want it written down as to why they've done it and I've also uh, want to make it clear that that they haven't forgotten them, that they are intentionally leaving them out uh, in the planning process.
2: <laughs> yeah, the the attorney who redoes the will, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the then disputed will, mm-hmm. is very important in that um, we attorneys, and I'm not a planner, but uh, a, a, somebody who drafts wills, but we have to do an assessment to make sure the person's competent and that they are doing things of their own influence. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time it gets to me in these Will Caveat cases, I'm looking, as I said before, at symptoms. Is the person mm-hmm. elderly? Is the person infirm? Does the person need help? Is it the person dependent? Has the person been isolated by mm-hmm. the suspected abuser? Mm-hmm. If not completely isolated, has the, uh, the suspected influencer, abuser, kept the disinherited person from mom or dad um Mm -hmm. things like that did the the document completely disinherit the the aggrieved party um now
1: i will also tell folks this you know because there (laughs) there are myths out there that you should leave someone that you don't want to leave anything to a dollar don't ever do that (laughs) that's the worst thing you can do because that can really tie up in an estate in ways that you don't want if you don't want to leave somebody something just don't leave it and say you're not going to leave them anything but don't live leave them a a, a, you know a a dollar or something that's de minimis that's not worth having because then they're not going to take it and then they're going to tie up the the estate and it's harder to close the estate with the clerk of spirit
2: court i'm going to take it one step further there's something that we attorneys call an interorum clause Mm -hmm. where you will say if anybody contests this will they're out
1: yeah, so that you, that's fancy language to say and you can't contest this uh, document.
2: Yes. So <laughs> those when I, I see those clauses in will in wills, it actually encourages me to consider more strongly the filing of a caveat. Because typically what you'll see is I leave this person $5 and if they challenge the will, they don't even get the $5. Well, mm-hmm. If, especially if such a clause wasn't in the prior will, mm-hmm. it just it raises my,
1: my – Well, uh, I, I will tell you this. I've never put that kind of clause in a will. I think it's not appropriate. But at the same time, in a lot of trusts that I do, I do put no-to-contest clause in, in those because we're doing a, a number of irrevocable trusts for generations oftentimes, and we don't want somebody to try to – upset what mom and dad intended.
2: And, and by the way, I, I don't in my practice wade in with the intent of upsetting what mom or dad practice because mm-hmm. especially when you see documents that were drafted by a by a, a firm the quality of yours, Bill. They 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 were done for a specific reason and I'm not a Medicaid planner, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And so I when I wade in, I can do as much damage <laughs> As, as I am doing helping people, which is why I don't have a practice where I create the documents because it leaves me free to make calls to people mm-hmm. like Bill Alexander and ask questions before I just go stumbling into a situation and have explained to me why particular documents were created in, in particular ways. Sure.
0: Makes a difference. It certainly does. We've got Tom Sparks here in the studio. He's an attorney with the Fiduciary Litigation Group, and we're going to continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us on this Saturday morning. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Special guest here in the studio is Tom Sparks, and he's an attorney with the Fiduciary Litigation Group. And Bill, we've been talking uh, most of the morning here about the importance of uh, selecting a fiduciary. Uh, We've been talking a lot about power of attorney and selecting your agent in that regard, and um, there's some consequences if you don't select the right person.
1: No, no question about it. And uh, some of the things that, uh, that folks can do, I mean, because the first question I ask is, do you trust this person? I mean, you know, the, I want to know the caliber of trustworthiness of an agent in, in every case. And if there's an issue, uh, you know, where things are not perfect – then, oh, at least when you're appointing an agent for finances, you know, typically you don't have the same issues with healthcare, but with finances, where this is the general durable power of attorney, because I often recommend an advanced power of attorney so we can do asset protection planning. But a real easy solution is appoint, to appoint co agents because then. Uh, and typically, that's going to be two children acting together. Well, they would have to conspire in order to steal from you. Yeah. <laughs> and so that that can actually uh, work. But the folks, there are a lot of folks out there that have no one. You know, their spouse is deceased or they've never married or they're divorced. They have no children. So who do they turn to? Uh, well, sometimes it's a friend or a niece or nephew or or those those kind of situations where there's really not as close a situation. Well, truthfully, you're better off without a power of attorney than to give a power of attorney to a person who shouldn't have it. (laughs) So you got to be really careful as it relates to who you give the authority to, and they need to be a person you are close to and trustworthy, and if if you don't have someone like that, you're better off uh, with a corporate fiduciary or a professional fiduciary, such as an attorney or CPA that you've had a long relationship with, um, that you know you have a trusting relationship with with you know, on a professional basis. You know, because if they do wrong, they can, they'll lose their license to 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 do their handiwork, if you will um so uh, those are just a few of the ways uh to at least approach making these decisions um and it's really important to you to make the right decision when it comes that's why having professional help when it comes to making those decisions can be helpful too but i want to get back to tom so he can tell us about more of his experience and where these uh good intentions break down
2: I just wanted to follow up on something that you said, Bill. If you're going to name co-agents, co-attorneys, in fact, um, your suggestion—I what I'm taking from your suggestion—is you want them to be able to act, or to you want to require them to act together. Is right. that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. The 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 law doesn't. If the law right now says that if you name two people, that either of them can act independently. And I agree with you; uh, they ought to be acting together.
1: Well, you can you can specifically require them to act together, is what I'm saying.
2: And what I'm suggesting is that you do specifically require them to act together. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
2: So the, a lot of my practice, and I haven't talked about it yet, but a lot of my practice, and when I say mine, my partner's name is Lee Lescody he's an exceptional attorney, an exceptional human being. Um, but a lot of our practice is centered around what I call theft by power of attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, a power of attorney an agent that you select is has a lot of power in your life, hmm. hence the term power of attorney. Um, they have the power to change beneficiary designations on your IRA, on your retirement accounts, on your life insurance policies. On things that you don't even know that they're changing that, quite frankly, keep those assets out of the probate process. Mm-hmm. The,
1: and, and that's a lot of what I see. And so if it's out of the uh, probate process, then a court's not looking over the shoulder. Exactly. Exactly.
2: So mm-hmm. they, they will change that. And it's it's more subtle. You well, don't you, have to have an elder person change their will if you've basically disposed of all of their valuable asset by changing deeds on property, by changing Insurance uh, beneficiary designations by mm-hmm. changing the retirement account and, and brokerage account uh, beneficiary designations.
1: Exactly. And you can go to the bank and do what's called a POD, pay on death, which is a beneficiary designation, or with brokerage houses, a TOD, transfer on death. Same thing. It's a beneficiary. And typically a power of attorney is going to have that. Now what's interesting is that these same areas where – Uh, uh, These documents can be abused by a, a wrongdoer are the exact same powers that we need to use effectively to protect people's assets, particularly as seniors. So because oftentimes we are protecting assets by transferring assets to a spouse, particularly with Medicaid planning, uh, we are changing beneficiary designations, we are creating irrevocable trusts and the like. Of course, when we do it from a professional perspective, we're always doing it with the estate, the ultimate estate plan in mind and consistent with that estate plan which a wrongdoer would not be doing that.
2: <laughs> and you're also, you use the pronoun we. Mm-hmm. You are doing it with the person whose money it is. Correct. I'm talking about situations where the elder doesn't even know it's been done. Right. Um, and in fact, that the disin, the, the disinherited person, I'm saying disinherited in the wrong context here, but the person who has been removed as a beneficiary doesn't even know what's happened until after the elder has passed,
1: right? And and actually, it's awfully, it's very, very difficult to undo uh, what that's been done because you first have to discover it, and you don't really know how much is involved when you when it doesn't go through probate. You don't see how much money's involved. And. It could be a life insurance policy. It could be uh, you don't know how much is in the account because they haven't uh, shared that with you.
2: And it's a very complex process to undo it because frequently the person who has been named the agent or the attorney in fact has also been named the executor of the estate. Mm-hmm. So the, the abuser gets, to, uh, gets a second bite at the apple of hiding his or her abuse. Mm-hmm to prevent that and and I'm venturing into an area that I have already told you three times I don't do and that is the planning. I have seen um, clauses in powers of attorney that specifically prohibit people from changing beneficiary designations where that affects in any way the the principal, the the person who signed the power of attorney, their estate plan mm-hmm. or their their desires, their expressed desires for the distribution of the property. And those are wonderful clauses mm-hmm. those are absolutely wonderful clauses
1: absolutely now I, I mean uh tom educate me here can can you have these kind of issues in a, a fiduciary setting in, in a business structure as opposed to a family planning matter
2: absolutely and thank you for asking that the you have to realize that officers and corporations members in LLCs, excuse me, managers in LLCs, they are fiduciaries as well to the others. And where you will see this in the context of what we're talking about today is in closely held companies, closely held LLCs that that may be, LLCs that may be owned by a parent and his or her si- um, children.
1: Which of the majority of small businesses out there are what we call closely, they don't report to the SEC, uh, those kind of things.
2: We all want to have our IPOs, but very uh, we actually get to that point. But no, yeah. I've, I've seen cases and, and represent um, the, the abused parties where a, a manager of an LLC will come in and and do something to dispose of LLC property. And again, what the, the biggest symptom is,
1: the breakdown of
2: communication, the lack of transparency. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's... And of course, if you're a criminal, if you're doing wrong, you don't want other folks to know. So you obviously will not be transparent about what you're doing. You're trying to hide what you're doing. The next thing that was <laughs> the,
2: the very next thing I was going to say is how often do, does somebody exercise their Fifth Amendment rights in a criminal context? And our knee-jerk reaction is, well, they must be hiding something. Mm-hmm. Well, in a financial situation where there's no commu- uh, no communication, no transparency, and somebody doesn't want to be transparent. More frequently than not, they are hiding
1: something. Mm-hmm. Well, that's important, and and so that would be a the t- a c- type of case that you would handle in the fiduciary litigation group. Then I take it.
2: Yes, absolutely. Very good. Well, we're going to continue
0: our conversation with Tom Sparks, as Bill just mentioned. He is with the fiduciary litigation group, and we'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. To asset protection today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680. WPTF, Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. We've got a special guest here in the studio. He's been with us all morning, and he's been doing a fantastic job. That's Attorney Tom Sparks with the Fiduciary Litigation Group. And Tom, we've we've had a really fascinating discussion here, but uh, I've got a couple questions for you. Uh, you know, you've brought up some examples of family dynamics, and um, you know, there may be some people listening right now in the WPTF audience that um, may say, "Hey, this this sounds kind of familiar. Or, uh, this this is something that I'm." Interested in finding more about, um, you know, we've we've discussed the importance of communication. If if someone suspects um, maybe some funny business going on, should they talk to their family member or should they immediately get in touch with the
2: fiduciary litigation group? What what's the best approach if you suspect something? I'm going to give you a lawyer answer. It okay. depends. <laughs> it, here's what it depends on. I always encourage family members to talk before they talk to an attorney. Uh, communication doesn't improve when you initially get an attorney. It, it tends to shut down until we figure out what's going on and open it back up. If what you're suspecting is one or two acts of, that, that can be construed as abuse but may not be abuse, um, I'd talk to the person. I'm going to give a very personal example. Uh, in my family, my younger sister is my parents' attorney, in fact. She may go she may have gone to a bank she didn't but she may have gone to a bank and oh and, and added herself to my parents bank accounts in an innocent way just to help them with their finances the appropriate way of doing that would would be for her to na- add herself to their accounts specifically designated as comma
1: poa and i can say that that happens all the time yeah. with families because that's the way the banks typically will set it up unless you direct them to do it differently so if she did that, certainly that might look like
2: she's trying to take my parents' money. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that, I mean, I've known her for a long time. Ha ha. Um, <laughs> she's not like that in any way, shape, or form. So I would talk to her about that. If, on the other hand, I learned that she had changed the beneficiary designation on every single asset that my parents had, um I might talk to an attorney first because that, that takes a lot more explaining. It's a lot longer conversation with her. There may still be an innocent explanation, but now you're venturing into territory where you probably need some protection uh, going into that conversation. Again, low level, please talk to him first. Don't come get me. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, something that's a little bit more complex, come and talk to me. I might be able to help you through it where you can still talk to them. And what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Oh, that's great. Uh I am at Tom at FID, F-I-D, lit, L-I-T, law, L-A-W, group, G-R-O-U-P, dot com. Tom at FID, lit, law, group, dot com, or nine one nine two two nine zero eight four five. And if I might, let me just add one more thing to that. When we have initial consultations because we're not a contingent practice, we charge for that. But if anybody calls in and said that they are calling in as a result of hearing me on this show, we will waive that uh, consultation fee.
1: That's a pretty good deal, Tom. I, I want folks to know, too, that that Tom is a very experienced attorney. Uh, their practice with the fiduciary litigation group is statewide. It's not just local. Uh, so they'll go into 100 counties to litigate if, if they need to. Um, it's also important for folks to know, uh, Tom is, uh, was an active duty Air Force uh, veteran, he was a JAG litigator for the Air Force, a very effective litigator, came out of the Air Force with a ter- terrific reputation for that. Uh, and he's uh, garnered a fabulous reputation as a litigator uh, since he's been in the Triangle. Um, and he's certainly a referral source for me. Uh, It makes a big difference to have a good attorney to be able to refer to when you have situations like this, but the other thing about Tom that's different is he also has an elder law background. He understands uh, senior issues, and he has a, a family situation with his father who suffers from dementia, so Uh, something that's very common for seniors to have to deal with. And so he has the practical experience and the legal experience, too. So I can't recommend anyone higher than Tom Sparks. And
0: that's a a very high recommendation. And, Tom, we really thank you for coming in this morning. Uh, You've supplied us with a, a wealth of information, and thank you so much for coming in. I can't thank you all enough for giving me this opportunity. Well, yeah, absolutely. At any time, Tom, we really appreciate it. Again, it's attorney Tom Sparks. He's with the Fiduciary Litigation Group. You can get a hold of him by calling 919 229 0845. That's 919 229 0845. His email address Tom at fidlitlawgroup.com. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Asset Protection today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. I just want to quickly mention that you can find more about Bill at wga law.com. That's wga law.com. That's where you can find more information about Bill. You can also sign up for February seminar. We just had the January seminar this past Wednesday. Next one coming up will be February 13th and Bill, this is a wonderful opportunity for folks to always get more information about dealing with a, a long-term care crisis and finding out what benefits they may be eligible for
1: absolutely it's important and folks any family that's in crisis should particularly for long-term care issues you should uh, sign up for our seminars it's free it's educational it's really important where folks can get factual information
0: wgalaw.com is the place to do it that's also where you can find bill's podcast he's got a wonderful series of podcasts available on his website covers many of the same topics that we discuss on this show but they're in a uh, a quick and digestible format you know they're around 10 minutes each so um again if you want to share this with someone and you feel that one of these topics might be helpful for to helpful to them, WGA Law.com is the place to go. We are out of time on behalf of Bill Alexander. I am Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Asset Protection today with attorney Bill Alexander. We hope you'll do it again next week. It's every Saturday at eleven. Thank you so much for listening to News Radio 680 WPTF.